This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. So as I said, Daniel's going to pass a bit of an overview out. We may have a, I think I made like 25 of a couple for your family, I believe. So, and it's just an overview of some of the things that we're going to be talking about. First of all, Caden, thank you for reading the first 11 verses of Matthew chapter 5, which we know as the Sermon on the Mount, the beginning of the, really the Beatitudes. So, I'm going to be talking about that today, uh, peacemaking, more specifically, a culture, creating a culture of peacemaking in our church. And so, um, you know, this isn't going to be a lesson on trials because, you know, I seem to uh, benefit from those. Although, you know, we had a little bit of a trial over the weekend. Uh, Janice took our van down to Dallas to take Stephen over to uh, a three-week quest mission thing that he's on. And she calls me about noon yesterday and said, the, uh, the battery light came on. It's like the battery light. Well, that's either a bad battery or a bad alternator. And you only have a limited amount of time to figure it out. Otherwise, it's just going to die and you're dead where you are. Long story short, uh, we got her back on the road. And uh, everything worked out fine. It was about four and a half hours. We were able to find some some place to do that repair. But that's not what today's lesson's about. But during that time, you know, that's stressful, right? I mean, like, why does this happen when I'm not there? And uh, I think God just gives us those to just exercise us in recognizing life's trials. And it's always nicer on this side of those trials when we look back at them and, and they've worked out and everything's okay. But boy, when you're right in the middle of it, you know, it's like, oh, Lord, you know, just, he just brings us so close, doesn't he? He brings us so close to him. So I want to be close to God without trial. That's my mission. <laughs> so... Um, at any rate, it's so good to be up here this morning to talk to you all and just uh, to visit a little bit about it. It's kind of my, my hope today is to uh, paint a picture of uh, what we learned in peacemaking and then for us as a congregation to create a culture of peacemaking. So uh, that's what today is about. You know, uh, we talk sometimes about what draws people to a specific local congregation. Um, when I think about what draws people here to Highway 71, um, I feel certain that it is the love that I think people feel here, the, the welcome spirit. I think it's palatable even, you know, it is something that is very evident here, that you're treated like family. But what else? What else is it that people are attracted to become members here and stay here? Um, what about being known as a congregation that is strong because it deals constructively and lovingly with conflict? I believe that that is also something that we are on, well on the road to doing here because um, it is a tool that we can use daily in our homes, in our work. Um, I think it's something that uh, it's just you can't you can't uh, get too good at it because it, 
it is something that we, we definitely use. So my goal today is to kind of rehash a little bit about the sessions that we had uh, held previously, the Ken Sandy Peacemaking, and we'll kind of broadly cover that. Uh, and then we're going to get into a little bit more of uh, cultivating a culture in our church for peacemaking. So you have a summary there. You can follow along with that. I'm not going to go through all the verses, but what you do see is that uh, that is something that is talked through throughout the Bible, including the Beatitudes about being peacemakers. You know, that doesn't mean that we still don't have conflict, as we talked about when we study peacemaking and we practice peacemaking. We still have conflict. Um, sometimes, whether it be just misunderstandings or disagreements among uh, even our members, our brothers and sisters here, it, it's going to happen. Um, but it's how we work together to resolve them uh, and how we show love and grace in that process. You know, we, we know from 1 Peter 4.8 that love covers a multitude of sins. And uh, causing conflict, that's a sin. Um, and we can work that out. But we know that love can cover that. So I originally had planned to do this message uh, back in February. And that was uh, the beginning of our uh, stay off the roads for quite some time. If you remember that, that was that, that uh, Saturday. Things started getting really cold and snowy. And so we missed, we all missed that, that Sunday. So that was my day. So here it is, and um, we'll, be, we'll be starting there. So peacemaking, another term that you may have heard is conflict resolution. Uh, we, I think, places at work. Uh, work on conflict resolution because it is such a real thing even in our workplaces. But conflict resolution or peacemaking in the body of Christ is crucial for several reasons. You know, avoidance of conflict with no effort to resolve it only postpones the proper response and exacerbates the problem. That because conflicts that are allowed to fester unaddressed will always increase and have negative effects in the relationships in this body of Christ. It just will. You, we need to res strive to resolve them, not to just put them away, not to just turn our eyes from them. We want to really resolve them. So the goal of conflict is unity. Unity in the church poses a real threat to the devil who will constantly take every opportunity and advantage to dig into those unresolved issues, especially those involving anger, bitterness, self-pity, even envy. Because those emotions are involved in most conflicts within a church. Ephesians 4.31 tells us that we're to let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from us along with all malice. The failure of the body to obey this command results in division in the body of Christ and grief to the Holy Spirit. We're also told in Hebrews 12.15 not to allow a root of bitterness to spring up among us, leading to trouble and defilement. 
So even, I've only been speaking about five minutes and um, you can see how the Word of God is full, full of talking about conflict and how that is not something we want to, to be left unaddressed. Clearly, a biblical method of peacemaking or conflict resolution is needed. You know, talking to many members who were able to attend the sessions that we've had, that Ken Sandy, the, the old videos, uh, you know, that is something I think we recognize that uh, even as old as it is and maybe dated, that material is so effective in communicating the different areas of conflict and how it comes about. As I mentioned, the Beatitudes talking about, which are effectively declarations that Christ made, those Beatitudes, the declarations of blessedness. Specifically in 5.9, Caden read, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they are called children of God. We, I know we all want to be God's children. We all are God's children. We want to practice that in our daily lives. So here are some of the things that we talked about in those sessions on personal conflict resolution, personal peacemaking. These are the eight sessions that we went through. The first one, and this is in your handout if you wanted to follow these, but it, conflict provides opportunities. 1 Corinthians 10.31 tells us, so whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Okay? So conflict provides those opportunities to do for the glory of God. Both in the way we humble ourselves when we recognize we're at fault and the way we show grace and love and help someone who is perhaps perceived as creating the conflict. So both of those are attractive in how we deal with that. That's attractive to people around us on how we deal with that. That attracts people to God when we show that godly example of peacemaking. Because people see us inside and outside, and that is attractive to say, you know, what is it that they, they learn to deal with conflict resolution in such a, a loving way? As I said, you know, people are attracted to this congregation. I think we were talking recently in a meeting that, you know, we're known beyond the Alma area our congregation here. Our messages go out on the web. They're posted. People listen to them. And so, you know, that's what we want to let, that's letting your light shine, you might say. That's one way to let your light shine is how you deal with conflict. The next one is living at peace is the key to our Christian witness. I basically spoke of that one there in, in John 13, 34 through 35, is a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Resolving conflicts as a peacemaker shows love. The third one I want to talk to briefly is God uses conflict to reveal our idols. We all know what are the triggers, what are the buttons that seem to put us in conflict 
that cause us to behave in a way that you'd say, well, I don't know why I behave that way. That, it's usually an idol of some sort. Maybe it's your, your time. Maybe it's, I just needed a rest. Maybe it's whatever. You know what it is. We all have those things. Is that not sometimes revealing to ourselves an idol? What causes fights and quarrels among you? James tells us in 4.1. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Confession brings freedom, we have learned. Proverbs 28.13 tells us, He who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. That confession brings freedom. I tell my children that. I may have mentioned this before, but if there is something that you did and maybe you said, no, I didn't do that. I don't know how that happened. Um, you know, we talk to our children sometimes, something that happens at home. It's like, don't carry that. Don't carry that burden of that untruthfulness. Confess that. It sets you free. Number five is constructive correction is a sign of genuine love. Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore them gently. A sure sign of genuine love is restoring someone gently. How you lovingly and constructively correct someone. The sixth one we covered in our series, discipline is God's gift and a blessing to the church. Matthew 18, 16, and 17 says, But if he will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. God has established that approach to discipline in a church for good reason. That is a blessing. Our goal is, as a church is to resolve that conflict before that. But if that would be needed, that's what we would do. And number seven, our forgiveness shows what we think of God's forgiveness. Our forgiveness shows what we think of God's forgiveness. Matthew 5, 23 and 24 says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Be right with your brothers and sisters. Be right with them. If there's something between you, get it resolved. Don't let anything be between you and the Lord. I think sometimes God purposely pricks our conscience when we remember something. You know, that's there for a purpose. That's there to remind you, you know, you need to get that resolved. So there would be nothing between, you want your prayers to be absolutely unhindered, unhindered when you're praying to God. You know, and just, you know, just that yesterday and, you know, Janice was in Garland, Texas. She was around automotive stores everywhere. I was thankful that, you know, she wasn't somewhere in, you know, how Texas gets, right? You know, I wouldn't want... If I felt there was something that was hindering me, oh, I'd feel like, you know, that's my fault. She's not able to get it repaired or whatever. You, you just don't want that. 
You want nothing to hinder your prayers because we know that prayer is powerful. We're fortunate to have a, an excellent series on that. Finally, number eight, overcome evil with good. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. When somebody does somebody wrong, what's the right response? What do we tell our children? How do we want to behave ourselves? You know, tit for tat, that's what the world would tell us. But that's not what we want to live by. Overcome evil with good. That was Romans 12, 20 through 21. So when we start with training ourselves to be peacemakers, we then as a church can change the way we respond to conflict. We want to strive to cultivate a culture of peace and we'll discover the wonderful blessings that are promised in James 3.18, which tells us, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. This harvest here is all kinds of relational fruit. The blessings of wonderful relationships between each other. That is the righteousness that we cultivate from peacemakers, from peacemaking. Now from our session, some of the benefits of us as leaders of our families, as well as what the Young Peacemaker series that Joseph and Cora, I think, led during our sessions, was that we want to live out the gospel in conflicts in our daily lives. You see, people are more willing to admit their shortcomings and ask for help when crisis occurs. When you learn about peacemaking, people are more willing to admit their shortcomings. When we can put our guards down and feel like we are in amongst our brothers and sisters, and we all know that this is common, that conflicts occur, we are more willing to put the guards down, to admit when we're wrong. Families are better equipped to handle disputes which makes divorce less likely. Number three, members are encouraged to go to each other to discuss problems, being proactive instead of letting them fester. We want to, you heard the term nip it in the bud. We want to snuff that out early. We don't want it to fester. And finally, our church is protected from division and splits and offended members are less likely to leave. Those are the benefits of our for our families and our church for understanding and practicing peacemaking. I'm sure we have all been in places or heard of places that something happened and you would look at it and say, boy, I can't believe that that caused such division. What well, happens? And I don't think there'd be a person that wouldn't say, you know, if we could have just practiced some peacemaking skills, how that could have been resolved early. Because usually that initial offense isn't what people split over or get extremely upset. It's usually this person feels like, you know, they offend. And then this person feels like, well, 
you did that to me, I'm going to step it up one, right? And that's how it usually goes. It gets ratcheted up. That's typically how it goes. And you say, wow, what, what was the root of that? You know, and probably something very minor. Somebody's feelings got hurt. Could have been probably uh, a misunderstanding. You know, wasn't even sure about it. Just felt like that's what they meant when they said that. If you feel like somebody has said something that offends you, talk to them. Pull them aside and just say, hey, I want to ask you about something you said. It kind of hurt. That's totally fine. That's productive. That's loving. That's genuine love. Lord knows I say enough. I joke. I say certain things. And I go back later and go, oh, my. I sure hope they weren't offended by that. You know. So if, I'll tell you right now, if I'd have, please, please, please tell me. I promise you I don't want to offend you, but tell me. So I'm not, I don't do it again. And I feel very confident that each of us feel that way. Because when you get this close as a family, just like your family at home, when you're that close, physically, spiritually, emotionally, it's, it's possible. It's likely. But we can work through that when we understand the process. And that's a process that I'm so thankful that we've, we've just committed, we've invested in that learning. And I don't think that's something that we're going to do a once and done. I think that's something that will benefit from continuing on as a process of learning and reminding ourselves as well as new members. Uh, so for all the benefits of that, you know, learning peacemaking on a continuous basis. You know, we recently got together as men and we were talking and, you know, that was just a very impactful session. And we thought, you know, what about something like that for young men and women who think they want to be married someday? I think most men in here would tell you, you know, those are some skills that I wish I knew from the onset, right? That may be something that we decide, you know, that's something we want to offer. You know, we look forward to it. We know uh, with all these young people in here, you know, we're going to have the opportunity to give some counseling. And we look forward to that day. And we want to make sure that that would be part of the counseling we give is not like, well, if you ever get mad at her or if she ever gets mad at you. No, it's when. When you've said something callous, when you didn't mean to but you said or this happened, you're going to want to understand how to use conflict resolution. Very practical. So, you know, teaching those peacemaking skills, I'm sure as parents that had gone through that, uh, we want our children to be able to exercise that. We don't want to spend a lot of time resolving every individual conflict in our family as parents. There are important things we want to do, and we want to give those opportunities for our children to practice peacemaking, even at a young age. So instead of coming to mom and dad and saying, oh, solve this for us, right? No. You know, if that's what they said, go to them and ask them about that. Ask them, why did you do that? Why did you say that? Start teaching those peacemaking skills at the youngest of ages so that as they grow, they're not, you're not the link in every resolution. Well, church is no different from that. These skills are critical for the future of our eldership roles. 
You know, I know we want to have elders here. And that will be critical to any elder, any leader, to have an understanding and good verse use of peacemaking. Because as a church, we want to focus on our ministry. We want to focus on reaching out to others and sharing the gospel and teaching others and drawing others to, to the Lord, not consumed in internal disputes. Resolution of conflict in a church doesn't happen overnight. Even Paul and Barnabas had a falling out, as we see in Acts 15, 1 and 2, where it tells us, some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had a heated argument and a debate with them, the brothers determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning the issue. They were going to put those skills immediately to use in educating and resolving that conflict. Now, we shouldn't be surprised when any of us, members in your family, members of the church body here, forget what we have learned, and might even have been something you learned last week. We should not be upset when sometimes we forget what we've learned as fathers, leaders, mothers, are, are inconsistent perhaps in our efforts and seems that time is wasted. But even though we stumble, we need not fall. For the Lord upholds us with his hand as we read in Psalms 37, 24, which tells us when he falls, he will not be hurled down because the Lord is one who holds his hand. Peacemaking is something like many other things. We're going to fail at times, but we know we, we want to count on the grace of others and the love of others, and we want to also, we know that God is there holding our hand through that process. We are going to mess up at times, but it's not all lost. As the Lord helps us back to our feet, we can learn from our mistakes, forgive one another, and continue to grow. Because as I said, as people see us in how we operate as an individual, as a church, God uses both our mistakes and our forgiveness to encourage others, doesn't he? I mean, he, do, he does. When somebody, let's say, you know, an unsaved person would see Christians perhaps come to in a conflict. It's how they resolve it. How a person is able to humble themselves and say, yeah, I messed up, I am sorry. And how that other person shows them grace and doesn't allow things to escalate, but say, hey, you know, yeah, that, that hurt me and I want to talk to you about that. And how that person humbles themselves. That is a testimony. That is showing the gospel. That is one of the, one of the uh, you know, a wonderful outreach in evangelism. They are enhanced through that. Because conflict in our fallen world is inevitable. <clears throat> because the more our relationships reflect the amazing love and mercy of God, the more people will want to know about the power that is working in us. 
the power that is working in us to maintain peace and unity. They will either want to become a part of this work or want to develop it where they worship. And we can be that example that gets that in their mind and wants to share it with others. That's what we can do. So when we talk about creating a church culture of peacemaking, we're talking about a place where all the church members, all the church members embrace the attitudes, providing a basis for highly productive peacemaking. And I want to talk to you about the levels that typically a church goes through or a church is in relative to creating a culture of peacemaking. And I'm going to walk through these. These are on your list. Perhaps you've been a member at a church at one or more of these levels. Okay? But again, our goal, and we'll talk about that at number five, is we want to be a church that plants seeds of this. So we'll start at number one, a culture of disbelief. Culture of disbelief is a church where people lack practical training in resolving conflict and doubt that the church can do much to help them resolve their differences. This church is like a tree that is missing some of the sweetest fruit. That's a place, perhaps, where sermons are given. People sing songs, people pray, but they don't get fed. And people don't recognize that this is where you learn those most practical skills of peacemaking. And so they, they don't believe that that's really like God really can't do anything about peacemaking in my home or peacemaking between us as congregants or in my work. That's level one. Level two is a pretty significant step up. It's a level, it's a culture of faith where people begin to understand God's peacemaking commands. I mean, I've read verses this morning, and it's just they're throughout our scripture about peacemaking. God knows us, doesn't he? I mean, he just knows that our flesh is weak. He understands the peacemaking, God's peacemaking commands and promises to believe that his ways will work in today's culture. That's a church of faith, a culture of faith. The church is like a tree blossoming in the spring. The next level is level three, a culture of transformation. People want to put off the worldly ways of resolving conflict and are taking steps to learn how to respond to conflict biblically. This tree is like, this church is like a tree that is being pruned and cultivated for greater productivity. The fourth level is a culture of peace. People are eager and able to resolve conflict and reconcile relationships in a way that clearly reflects the love and power of Jesus Christ. This church is like a tree producing a rich harvest. That's kind of where I see us. You know, I'm sure we're a broad span, but, you know, that's probably where we are. And a level five is a culture of multiplication where people delight in expanding God's kingdom by showing other people in churches how they too can be peacemakers. This church is like a tree that is reproducing by spreading its seed. So, 
maybe intentionally, even unintentionally, how we interact with others and what we believe as a church our vision is that, that this is something that we want others to benefit from. Because conflict is in every church, every family. There is plenty of harvest out there. The, the fields are white with harvest. This is something we can be constantly working on. Maybe at some point we'll say, this is something that we want to, you know, maybe have an area-wide meeting about or, you know, preach specifically to it uh, through various mechanisms to teach others, to host something, you know. But it's, it's needed in our world today. I mean, the world around us definitely would benefit, but in the church body benefits from this. A church that has a culture of peace usually shows these eight characteristics. First, it's a vision. It's training. It's assistance in this process. It's perseverance, the stick to if you've heard that expression. It's accountability, holding each other accountable. Elders, men, helping each other. Ladies, among yourselves, holding each other accountable. It's restoration when something goes south, you might say, and people need brought back lovingly. It's stability, and it's a witness. So let me go over those, and I'll read a few of the verses associated with each of those eight characteristics. I won't read them all. You can look those up yourselves, but I just want to share some of the verses. Under vision, the church is eager to bring glory to God by demonstrating their reconciling love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ, and therefore sees peacemaking as an essential part of the Christian life. I mean, didn't Christ, in terms of peacemaking, in terms of reconciling, that was the epitome of reconciliation for us to God, was him willingly, voluntarily, dying on the cross for us. That was him reconciling us to God. Luke 6, 27 through 36 talks about loving your enemies. John 13, 35 says, By this all people will, that, will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That is a very strong, active form of love, showing people grace, humbling yourself. When somebody does you wrong, my first reaction is to defend and then attack often. Certainly something I'm working on, but, but that's a fleshly desire. But to love, to humble and to love when conflict is coming right at you, that God's involved in that. We know from 1 Corinthians 10.31, do all for the glory of God. When you're able to do that, when you're able to humble yourself, you are bringing glory to God. And I know that's a name for each and every one of us here, bringing glory to God. Colossians 3, 
12 through 14 says, So as those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so must you do also. In addition to all these, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. The next step, that's the vision, that that is the kind of overarching love for our congregation, that we plant seeds in others. Training, it's gonna need training. We've started it. The church knows that peacemaking does not come naturally, does it? So it deliberately trains its leaders and its members to respond to conflict biblically in all areas of life. Like I said, it's not a one-time thing. It's training. As parents, I think we know, and our, as for ourselves and for our children, if we could train it once and it be done and forever practiced, that'd be really nice. But that's not the way it is, because that's not the way we are even as adults. We need refreshing. We need training. That's why we continue to read the Bible every day, because we need that renewal, that training. Training and practicing. Galatians 5, 19 through 21, because we want now that it says, now the deeds of, of the flesh are evident. We, we need this. We need this training. Luke 6.40 says, A student is not above the teacher, but everyone, when he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. And who's our teacher? Jesus Christ. Let me move on to assistance. When members cannot resolve disputes privately, the church assists them through the in-house trained reconcilers, even when conflicts involve financial employment, or even legal issues. To have few, maybe many, people who are specifically trained and practiced in that kind of peacemaking. So when we have disputes, you can say, hey, let's, you know, let's get so-and-so involved. You know, they're really good at helping figure out what's causing the conflict. That's often what the cause sometimes. We don't really consciously understand what, what's causing the conflict, you know, that they can get that, help get that resolved. We want to be able to provide that assistance from, for within, maybe for a family, you know. I mean, we're all brothers and sisters here. We want strong families. We want strong relationships between the husbands and wives, our brothers and sisters. For us to be able to provide that assistance can be a tremendous blessing Tremendous blessing. That's what we want to be able to provide. I would say if anybody needed that now, we'd love to have the opportunity to assist. Matthew 18, 16 says, But if he does not listen to you, take two or three with you, so that on the testimony of two or three witnesses, every matter may be confirmed. Sometimes that's what a and the assistance can be is just sitting down with a couple and say, okay, wait a minute, let's, let's talk through this. You know, I know I've got blind spots sometimes. If Clint had to come down and sit with me and said, Derek, you know, Janice is pretty upset with you. You know, you may not be seeing this. You know, I would love that. 
because my relationship with my wife is so much more important than I think, than I think my pride would be. You know, that may be hard to hear, but I promise you that's what I want. And I think that's what we all want because we want that closeness. Romans 15, 14 says, And concerning you, my brothers and sisters, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. That's where we want to be, filled with that goodness to be able to admonish one another. We can do that in love. Number four is perseverance. Just as God pursues us, the church works long and hard to restore broken relationships, especially when marriage is at stake and even when attorneys are involved. There's some hard, heavy lifting at times. And sometimes, you know, if you relate it to an athletic event where you're, maybe we're running around the Mulberry Park, right? And you're just a three, four laps away from completing that. And you're like, oh, that kind of puts you in the mode of what's that spiritually when conflicts are tough, but we're going to persevere. We're going to complete this. We're going to overcome. We're going to resolve. It can get hard, but that's what perseverance means. That stick to that we are going to work hard to resolve this. Because with God, everything is possible. Number five is accountability. If members refuse to listen to a private correction, church leaders get directly involved to hold members accountable to scripture and to promote repentance, justice, and forgiveness. When we are a part of a body where we would say, you know what? If I'm in the wrong, I want you. You have an open door to come and talk to me. When we have that kind of closeness, which I believe we do, that kind of accountability is a blessing to each and every one of our families in addition to our church. Providing that open door that says, hey, if I'm in the wrong, come in and tell me about it. I am not too proud to be told that I am missing something that is a blind spot for me, right? And I say that as me, but that's something that would come out of all of our mouths, right? That's the kind of culture of accountability in a church, in a family that talks like that. Number six, restoration. Let me read, let me, I'm going to back up, and I'm going to read to you Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 that relates to accountability. It says, My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his rebuke. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, just as a father disciplines the son in whom he delights. You know, I think that's important to remember. God delights he loves he who he disciplines. 
Number six, restoration. Wanting to imitate God's amazing mercy and grace, the church gladly forgives and fully restores members who have genuinely repented of serious and embarrassing sins. You know, I think of the story of the prodigal son. For all to see. This is not something this son apparently did in private, right? All the world saw his behavior. And the father welcomed him back. That was restoration. That didn't make everything he did okay. That's not what it's about. It's about when somebody humbles themselves like that son we read does, did, right? Even my father's hired hands eat better than I do. I have sinned. His father restored him. And sometimes that restoration is hard to understand by those who perhaps feel like, well, I didn't do all that like the brother. But God knows. That should not stop us for bringing restoration. Because, well, they're going to think I'm been easy on them. That's, that's not what it's about. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. That's the kind of forgiveness we want to provide to each other. God gave us that example. How about stability? Because relationships are valued and protected, leaders serve fruitfully year after year, and members see the church as their long-term home. That's a beautiful thing. When we all feel like, oh, this is where I want to be. Like, I don't want to move from this area because I couldn't go and be with you all. That's the kind of stability a church wants to have among its body and provide. And this kind of ability to resolve those conflicts can provide that kind of stability. You know, you see, unfortunately, many today who perhaps they don't know what they're searching for, go from location to location to location, feeling like, well, I'm in church. But boy, there is something holy and beyond sitting in a pew and listening to a message and singing songs in terms of you being a part of the body. We know that. When you, when you have something like this, you recognize that extremely well, that a church family is something way beyond just a place where you say you attend. When you have that and people desire and drive a distance to be here, like many of you do, that creates a stability that is so important to its membership, to the work here. And then finally, number eight, witness. Members are equipped and encouraged to practice peacemaking so openly in their daily lives that others will notice and ask why they do it and hear about the love of Christ. That's a witness when we show love, even among our children, when our, when our children, in our families, I could probably count like 50 this morning, right? 50 times that somebody could have, you know, showed love myself included, when somebody says something, does something that, you know, was a reaction, oftentimes a reaction, a res instead of a response. You can provide a witness to others that you don't even know are watching. 
Because that, again, shows the love of Christ. Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. John 13, 34, 35 says, I am giving you a new commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That's what we want, right? Probably above so many things, is that others would know that we love our Lord. By the, and we can do that by the way we love one another. 1 Peter 2.12 says, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. That's kind of the world, right? The Gentiles. So that in a thing which they slander you as evildoers, they may, be, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God on the day of visitation. That's a pretty neat thing right there to think about. That if in our behavior, someone from the world brings glory to God because the way they witnessed us as children of God handle a conflict. That's a blessing. Peacemaking is an attitude expressed through action. The heart of this attitude is the joy and thankfulness that comes from fully understanding the gospel of Christ. Philippians 4.4 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. I like that. Peacemaking is an attitude expressed through action. You know, oftentimes we think, well, what can we do? I want to I show God's love. I want to do something. Right? I, you know, I read the word. I do this. But what can I do? What kind of action? Peacemaking. And there's opportunities all around us. Jesus died on the cross in our place to release us from the penalty and ongoing slavery of sin. He gave his life to buy our forgiveness, earn our freedom, and bring us back to God. Now Christ wants to pass on the priceless gift of reconciliation onto others in the form of personal peacemaking. Colossians 3, 12 through 13 says, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so you do also. I think that is a verse, I read that again, that we need to just remember, so that we do also, bearing with one another, forgiving with one another. So to kind of wrap it up, you know, we talked about, you know, how important, hopefully you're walking away with a sense of how important peacemaking is in our lives, how many opportunities are around us, how we've had some very good initial training, many of us have. It's something that we want to continue on. And then having, going through the, you know, the levels of a church and having a vision, uh, those characteristics that we talk about also, and wanting to share that and plant those seeds all around us of peacemaking. The world is not short of conflict. What do you see today? Right? Polarization. 
constantly creating an us and them. No matter what it is, no matter what it is, mask, no mask, vaccine, no vaccine. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on about creating an us and them, a good guy and a bad guy. I'm good, they're evil. It's all around us. That's not unity. That's opposed to unity. In the Bible, God is about unity. These are, the, the skill in peacemaking cannot be overemphasized in terms of value in a body. You know, I pray that we as a church body remain focused on peacemaking in our homes as well as among our brothers and sisters here. And I pray that the body of believers continues to strive to develop a culture of multiplication when it comes to being peacemakers among ourselves and outside. Of course, none of this is possible without Christ and the reconciliation, the gift of his reconciliation. A gift of, a gift of reconciliation that he gave to each and every one of us. Have we accepted that gift of reconciliation? Are you in Christ today? Have you received that gift? Have you made Christ your Savior by dying with Him and being buried in baptism? If you've not put on Christ and had your sins washed away, I would encourage you to do so today. Thank you for your kind attention. Uh, Joseph's going to lead us in an invitation song that I thought goes well. You know, one of my favorite parts is peace like a river, just a flowing river of peace. Not a, not a bucket full, a flowing river full of peace, an endless flowing river. That's what the kind of peace we get from Christ. Thank you. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479-647-2658. May God bless you.